Uh, this is the famous first line of the famous Kafka novel, uh, The Trial, uh, from 1925. Someone must have been telling lies about Joseph K. Because one morning, after doing nothing wrong, he was arrested. Hello, comrades and friends. Uh, today's episode of the Highlands Bunker podcast was produced in partnership uh, with the ACLU of Delaware and the Delaware Call. Uh, this is Rob in the studio. Super producer Carl uh, is on from a secure remote location. Um, earlier this month, the ACLU of Delaware released a 22-page report uh, entitled Operation Safe Streets, How Delaware's Most Secretive Police Force Plays Fast and Loose with Our Communities. Uh, our guests today uh, are Lauren Gill, who uh, reported that story. Uh, her work is also found in ProPublica, The Nation, and Rolling Stone, to name just a few. And I am happy to have her uh, on Highlands Bunker today. Thank you for coming in, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Uh, also joining is a principal in Lauren's story, uh, Cherie Congo. Cherie's home uh, was violently raided by armed state officials under the auspices of Operation Safe Streets. And I'm, um, I'm humbled and grateful to be able to host her on the podcast and, and uh, promote this story. Uh, Sheree, um, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, before we get into the personal stories and some of the examination of the process, Lauren, can you just kind of start off and explain um, what this Operation Safe Streets is, uh, how, it, how it functions, um, some of the other arms of, of similar... Uh, similar things happening across the state uh, and and just like the background so people can uh, can understand what what this is of course so operation safe streets was started in 1997 um, in wilmington and it was in a response to a significant increase in shootings um, there was a study done the previous year that showed that a lot of the people who were involved in the shootings had a prior felony charge. So the governor believed that, you know, starting this new operation um, to target people on probation would help cut down shootings at the root. Um, so basically the way that the program works is probation officers partner with police officers. So people on probation, they when they sign on to being on probation, they agree to consent to searches, warrantless searches, whenever the probation officer feels like it, basically. Now, police officers, they have a whole different standard. They have to have evidence that they can go ahead and search someone. So this partnership would result in the probation officers being allowed to search people on probation and the police officers would then provide the muscle and they would not necessarily be involved in the actual searching but you know they had their guns and just the general authority that comes with being a police officer um the program was deemed a success and 
the state introduced a similar sister program called the Governor's Task Force um, involving the Delaware State Police and uh, police officers in Dover and Sussex County and Kent County as well. So they operate on the same model. Um, I'm sure we'll get into this, but people on probation aren't the only people that are being uh, patrolled by Operation Safe Streets. And we focused our report primarily on Safe Streets, which is in Wilmington. Um, that's where I had received the bulk of complaints and had heard from people about the program. Um, so we decided to focus in there, um, but yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, I, I think um, it's very telling, and I hope people take away from this that, you know, when it started, this this to me is a vestige of sort of that mid-90s crime bill era. And, you know, our own, uh, our own senator now, the president, was a, was a big uh, author of that, and he's had to reckon with a lot of those things, whether they be sort of drug-related things, uh, what they did with prison sentences around the country, all of that stuff. Um, this is a vestige of that. Um, so the things that didn't work about that, the things that uh, made people's lives uh, more difficult, more dangerous, that this is this is just a part of that. And I think I don't I don't know whether I think people may be vaguely familiar that there's a thing called this, but don't really realize the genesis of it. So I think that was an important important little wrinkle to it. Uh, but I do want to get into that a little further. But uh, before we do, uh, Sheree, you've 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 talked to Lauren, and, and a lot of your story has has uh, been in that report. You're going to be pu publishing a longer, more detailed commentary for the call uh, along with this conversation. Um, but I, so, as, as much as you want to sort of recount how you uh, sort of got pulled into this. Um, let people know because I, I, again, I don't think people have a have a very clear understanding of what actually happens to people and and um, how terrifying it can be. Um, so, yeah, can you just give people a little bit of background about how the Operation Safe Streets arrived on your porch and into your home? Um, how they arrived or even why they came, um, I don't know. But I know that me and my son, Armani, was previously on the porch prior to them coming. We were on the porch and we were talking. Um, you know, I was just giving him congrats to, you know, him just doing so good at the time. Um, working two jobs, using his spare time to uh, work out. So he was taking a more stronger interest in his health and well-being. Uh, we I went in the house. He followed behind me. I went in the house to make a phone call to, at the time, my boyfriend. And Armani had entered the home to get something to drink. So he headed to the kitchen as I had my way upstairs to get my cell phone. Um, he did call up to me to come, you know, ask me, was I coming back down? I'm like, yeah, I'm coming on my way. But by that time, I'm scrolling through Facebook. Um, not even... 10 seconds after that, it happened so quick. I just hear a real big, loud boom sound. And I'm like, what is going on? And I hear my son scream, the, the terror. And oh my gosh, the. The sounds of his screams. Mom, they shot me. Mom, they shot me. 
mom, they shot me. They shot me. So my bedroom door is still open. I see my son. He makes it to the top of the steps, but he kind of like fumbles a little bit, like he tripped. But he was able to get himself back onto his feet, but he couldn't stand straight up. He was holding his side while leaning up against the hallway wall to help him, you know, make his way down to my bedroom. So he enters the bedroom door and I slams it shut. By this time, I'm hearing a bunch of different footsteps running up like a stampede up, up my steps. So I'm holding the door shut. My son is still holding his side and he has one knee on the floor and he's leaning up against my bed. Still screaming, mom, they shot me. They shot me. I'm like, who shot you? Like, what is going on? Who are these people in my house? He never said who it was. And the people outside my door never said who they was. He was still screaming in pain. They shot me. They shot me. They shot me. So I hear a voice say, open the effing door. So in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm not about to open my door and and let whoever is in my house attack me and my son. So then I immediately hear another voice say, kick the effing door in. Kick the effing door in. So mind you, my, my, my door handle on my door, it didn't. It didn't have a lock thing on it to twist it to lock it. It was just, I was just keeping it, sh- keeping it uh, shut, keeping it closed by, um, putting pressure in, you know, against the door. So they make their way into the room. The first officer that enters my my bedroom is Officer Wiggins. He immediately grabs my son. He picks him up because, mind you, Armani was still kneeling on the floor against the bed, leaning up against the bed. He picks him up on his feet. He, he slams him into the dresser. He slams him into the wall and then slams him onto my bedroom floor. He immediately started punching my son, like punching my son in his face, punching him in his chest, just kept like just hitting him, just punching him and punching him. So a second officer entered um, my bedroom and he's trying to get to Armani. So I tell him I'm going, I'm going to um, record because my, at this time, my I, prior to me trying to keep them from entering my room, I put my phone on the bed. So I picks my phone up and I tells them, I'm going to record, I'm going to record. Now, the second officer that entered the room um, tries to grab the phone from me and tells me, you're not recording shit. So now me and this officer is tug of war with my phone. He takes his one arm that he wasn't using to tug of war with the phone and swings me into the dresser, which forces me to let grip up off my phone because I had to break my fall, stop myself from falling over the dresser. Um, so now it's like, it had to be about eight officers in the hallway. But when I opened, when I originally opened the door for them to get in, half of them didn't even have labels on, on their um, clothing. It was just like real big, bulky, like vests. I, I can't remember if they were black vests or blue vests, dark blue vests, but some of them didn't even have officers, probation, no nothing, no type of writing or anything on their, um, on their vests, on their clothing. So now a third officer grabs me. Now he's, I'm screaming, please help my son, help my son. Please somebody call the ambulance. I don't want my son to die on my floor. And amidst all that, my son is still screaming, mom, mom, help me. They hurting me, mom. They hurting me. I'm helpless. I can't even do nothing to help my son. I'm just like, please begging these people, call the ambulance, get my son some help. So the officer that, that walked me out the room, now we're standing on the steps. We're standing on the hallway steps. 
all the kids, my other twins, my set of twins and my other middle child and my daughter and granddaughter now is all in the hallway. Everybody is screaming, you know, stop, stop, help, help, help my brother. It's just a lot. It's chaotic. So we're standing on the steps. I'm facing the officer, the one officer, and it's the officer behind me. Now, me and this officer is is talking uh, face to face. So I'm asking him, please, now, please just get my son some help. You know, whatever reason y'all in here, I don't know, but just help my son. Don't let my son die. Please don't let my son die. So the officer behind me is like, shut the F up. Nothing's going to happen to your son. So I'm like, well... First of all, I'm in my home. I'm in my home. Y'all are invading my home. I don't have to be quiet in my home. So he says, well, F this shit and puts handcuffs on my wrist. Okay. So he, as he's walking me down the steps, this man literally, while my hands were in cuffs, pushed me down the flight of steps. In my mind, and quick thinking, I had to twist my body sideways to stop myself from falling flat straight on my face. And that's how the whole side of my, my, uh, my what was that, my left side of my body was bruised up bad. So this officer continues to walk down the steps, and he walks over top of me and past me. Never once tried to help me up off my feet or anything. He just walks past me and keep on going. It was a, another officer that was already downstairs. That kind of, I believe he probably felt bad and helped me on my feet because I couldn't do it by myself because I was in pain and my hands was in cuffs. So he did help me get on my feet. But when the officer pushed me down them steps, my granddaughter said to that officer, you don't do that to my mom. You don't do that to my mom. That's not nice. You don't do that to my mom. And mind you, at the time, she was about two going on three or maybe three years old. So ever since then, living in that house for months after that incident occurred, the kids were scared to go downstairs. They wouldn't go downstairs to get nothing to eat or anything. We were having like nightmares. Still to this day, sometimes I hear my son's cries for help. Um, I couldn't sleep because I could. I, when I closed my eyes, I just everything that took place that day, that night, replays in my mind. So I had to get medication to help me um, sleep through the night. It's just hard. It's hard. I'm trying to get through it and pass it, but it still haunts me. It still haunts me to this day. And I just don't understand why these people would would do this to us. You never think things like this will happen to you and your family until it actually happened. And it's just like, why? Why would y'all do this? Yeah, I, 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 I struggle for something to say in, in the face of that. Um, I, I think, uh, I had a conversation about some issues sort of surrounding this, and, and it comes up in, in political conversations all of the time. And I think um, 
you know, nobody, a lot of people have a hard time thinking about things that don't happen to them. That they're, you know, they they don't, you know, they can't imagine um, this happening. Um, but you should. Um, because what we're talking about is just, um, I mean, Lauren used the word, you know, fast and loose. Um some of people called him cow. You know, one of the defense attorneys who was interviewed called him cowboys. Um, it's it's a um, it's an awful awful situation. And what I hope people will do is 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 listen to what that what that brings to people, and realize that we are all responsible for it. You know. This is not something that, you know, some, this is being done by the Department of Corrections and police forces and and the politicians who support them, and we're responsible for all of that. So I, I just hope people kind of think about that perspective when we start to go through some more of these details about what it is that these groups do, how long they've been doing it. And, and the frequency in which they do it when um, when it's examined, you know uh, it is it's not a success. Um, Lauren, maybe you can talk a little bit about the examination of of some court documents and 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 other things because you know you mentioned in your opening, you know this is this is deemed a success. Um, and I think a lot of times, you know the the information is, is 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 fed through the media to the public like it's doing something positive, and I I saw I saw nothing positive um, throughout the story. Maybe you can talk a little bit about the, um, the 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 research that you did and and sort of what what came of it and and what sort of uh, conclusions could be made from what your your research was. Well, Operation Safe Streets, their main goal and what they'll say time and time again is that they're making, they're making communities safer by taking guns and drugs off the street. But I think if you listen to Cherie's story, are they really? I mean, they've traumatized her whole family. But then when you look at it from a numbers perspective, they're not actually even accomplishing the goals of the program. Um, I was able to obtain a 2007 application for federal funding, and their goal was to reduce shootings by 30% and violent crime by 5%. And in 10 years since Operation Safe Street started, there were actually more shootings in Wilmington than there were before the program even began. Um, the DOC, you know, we asked them about these findings and they said, well, we're taking so many guns and drugs and, you know, they have these big numbers to back it up. But when you talk to people out in the community, these numbers are coming at a cost and their civil rights are being violated um, for just doing things like hanging out somewhere that's enough reason for safe streets to pat someone down. Um, there was one statistic in there that we found. Let me find that. Um, 
we were able to review stops that were made by Safe Streets, um, proactive stops, which means like they didn't receive a tip. Um, they're just patrolling the streets and we were able to review like kind of the details of those stops that were obtained from a court order in, uh, in one of the cases that we were looking at. And out of 67 proactive stops, um, 11 of them were for tinted windows. And this is in a year time span. 11 were for failing the signals. Other reasons included leaning back too far in the driver's seat or not wearing a seatbelt. All mm. things that, you know, you see and you think, wow, that's really a threat to public safety, right? So the turn signal was something that kept coming up in interviews with people who were driving. Um, driving while black is apparently a public safety issue. Um, that's a big reason why safe streets will pull people over and people will tell me, well, I told them they can't search my car and they search the car anyway. Um, so yeah, they just, they can have all of these numbers to claim that the program is working, but you know, the statistics show that it's really not, and it's coming at a greater cost to communities as well. People told me that they stay inside on days that they know safe streets is patrolling. You know, like how is that making communities better? Yeah, I mean, it's all it's all sort of perpetual, and I, it, I, I was I was struck by the way that. In certain places, and of course, it's always uh, targeted. In, in you know, you can you can you can see it on a map almost. You know where they're going to, where they're going to menace, where they're going to surveil, um, and uh, yeah, it, it just perpetuates uh, the myth that certain areas are are rougher. Um, I'll I'll tell you a story. I I got into it with the mayor. Um, several years ago at a, at a, at a meeting uh, for using the phrase rough neighborhoods. I didn't like the context in which it was used, and I sort of made, my, made that known in a very um, loud way. And so we had a confrontation at a meeting. Um, but all I could think about in yelling at him and afterwards is that's perpetual. If there's anything rough or unsafe about a neighborhood, he's making it that way, or the police are making it that way. Or we've made it that way for... You know, for other reasons over time, but it really is perpetual. People should uh, should really understand that. I think is um, you know this is a vestige of a time where you know everybody was treated like a like a criminal, a felon, um, and we've we've chipped away at that um, for thirty years. Um, but we're going to have to continue to do more of it um, because yeah, this, the, the the places are not safe. Um, yeah, you also talk about, and maybe Cherie can talk about this too, um, the entire neighborhood, this affects the entire community. Because, I mean, uh, what, what has happened is if somebody's on the street, for example, or somebody's at another, at a neighbor's home, or someone's in the car with someone else, um, everybody sort of gets rolled up in this, in this violence that, the, that they're doing. Um, and so there's just this feeling like, how could it possibly end? There's nothing, you, you almost cannot, it's unavoidable almost in some cases. I mean, is that the sense that people get is like, it could happen anytime to anybody? I believe so. 
Yes, I do. I believe so. And it's 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 sad because here these are a group of people that we're supposed to receive like they're supposed to be out here for our safety. They are out here causing more harm than anything to the community. And it's just, I can't even explain it. Like, it's just, it's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah, I I, I've, I think I mentioned it in the, the little piece of commentary I wrote about it, trying to get people directed to the report. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's a common lament from, you know, elites and stakeholders and people who basically think it's okay to give armed agents of the state sort of carte blanche to do what they perceive they need to do. Um, and then there's a lament that, you know, there's no community trust. Like there's no, if we could just build some sort of uh, relationship or rapport with all these different neighborhoods, even impoverished neighborhoods or working class neighborhoods or black and brown neighborhoods, if we could build this trust, it would be a big step in helping. But everything they do and say uh, does the exact opposite. And uh, I, I that that was that was pretty clear in reviewing all of this stuff too. So it's it's just a it's a it's a horrible horrible situation. Uh, it's, Lauren, it's it's bad, it's bad. Yeah. Even after the incident occurred at my house, for weeks I was getting they they would harass me. They was harassing me for weeks after my they already took my son in custody. Riding past my house, they would come park and sit outside my house. Um, I was getting threatening phone calls. You know, it, it was terrible. But like most families that experience this, that goes through this, and, and it happened to so many people, but they fear speaking up. They fear speaking up because of the aftermath of them coming forth and, and telling their story. But I wasn't scared of them. And I'm not going to be. And I'm going to let the world know exactly what they've done to me and my family because this needs it needs to come to a stop it needs to be stopped immediately because it's not right at all yeah i i, I and that goes that is perfect that's a perfect way to sort of uh, go into sort of the next thing i wanted to ask lauren as well um i would want i want to stop this stuff there's a lot of stuff related to this that i think is exacerbating it as a matter of fact and i wonder whether um, it had any impact on you working on this story. Um, we have a law officer's uh, cop bill of rights here. Uh, so it's very, very difficult to do any research on particular officers and problems that they have. Very, only, only very recently have we, have we started mandating uh, body cams. I don't even think that's really... Uh, the panacea or the the improvement people think it is, but it was only very recently that we had that. Um, we have a very stingy sort of uh, FOIA tradition here. Um, uh, all of these things need to be addressed um, so that secretive agencies can't continue to do this kind of uh, this kind of violence. But yeah, how how much of that within your reporting of the story did you come across sort of getting stonewalled here, being able to get documents, being able to get your hands on information from the city and from the state? We experienced that a lot. 
and the DOC gave us some data, but they wouldn't separate it by race. So we had no data on the racial impact until we received um, the court uh, documents that showed that, you know, officers were definitely racially targeting people according to the data. Um, Things as simple as how much funding goes into Operation Safe Streets was impossible to get because apparently they're funded through the general fund um, for the state and the police departments don't actually pay their salaries. Um, So that was interesting. Another concerning part of the whole program is the lack of accountability. Officers operate on a separate radio channel that isn't monitored and isn't recorded. So they say that's because they use confidential informants. Um, As you said, until recently, they didn't have to wear body cameras. In Newcastle County, officers did wear body cameras. But according to defense lawyers that I talked to, they the officers would just turn away during a search or when they were going through a checklist in order to be able to do the search which is um officers uh couldn't just go ahead and do a search um without running through a checklist with the supervisor but we found that in a lot of cases they actually just skip that all together and the criteria is you know is your information reliable um and you have to get the supervisor to sign off on it. So yeah, there were a lot of problems getting data and that's why we had to rely mostly on our interviews and court documents. We were able to receive um, some FOIA documents, which you know had that concerning statistic. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this, but one of the goals of the program in 2007 was actually to increase technical violations of probation, which seems counterintuitive um, to trying to be a program that helps rehabilitate people since it's part of the Department of Corrections. Yeah, I don't think you did include that. That's an that's an I don't think you did include that or if you did, I, I missed it. That's a that's a very nice. I mean, uh, it's sort of like some, sometimes the the uh, the truth slips in there. Uh, you know, and people it's like, oh, oh, so we we missed that one. Yeah, yeah. Increased technicalities. I mean, we've talked about this not just with Operation Safe Streets, but just in general, the the way that per, uh, that that probation and parole is just further punishment. Um, you know, of a well, you know, who you can live with, where you can, wh- what you can do, um, the searches that you're uh, that 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 you just, you know, you basically give up your rights. So it's just a, it's just an increase in punishment. This is just the the accelerated one of the most extreme examples of it, really. But to, so to see that slip out into a little like, oh yeah, we're also trying to get a bunch of people on technicalities so that we can do what, like to what end. Yeah, fifteen yeah. percent they wanted to increase it by, and this is. In order to get federal funding, too, it's like, give us more money. We're going to get more people on probation violations. I, 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 I wish that was surprising, but uh, it's, it's, it's not at all. Um, Cherie, I, I want to make sure we also talk about sort of some of the other fallout. Um, 
Is our so how is Armani today? I mean, I know he's um, still. I, I think he's still serving out a term. Is that right? How uh, how's he holding up? Um. Now he's fine. He wasn't fine at first, but now he's pretty much. He. He's just he's tired. He 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 pretty much he gave up. He really gave up. He gave up the fight. Um, and. I don't blame him because he was. We were fighting for two years, you know. So he just got tired and just just gave up. But I mean, he's he's just taking it day by day now, you know, to get through his time. Yeah, and I think that Armani's situation is so emblematic of problems with the criminal legal system. Um, he was arrested. I don't know if Sheree mentioned this, but she had bought a gun legally before the arrest um and she had bought it for protection right yes i'm sorry i did leave that out so i purchased a gun um because not only did two neighbors get shot recently around that time in that area but i was assaulted twice in front of my home and one of those assaults involved a firearm so I took it, I took the initiation to go and purchase a legal firearm to protect me and my family. Um, so, yes, you're right. Yeah, and I remember, and, and again, this was very clear both in um, the story, Lauren's story at, at the ACLU and, um, and your op-ed that, we're, uh, that will be run in the, in the call. And I think people should understand that, yeah, you you had. I think it, uh, in the story, there's even an exchange where when when the when the when they find the the gun, they say, "Well, we have a gun." I said, "That's mine. I'm going to show you my." This my like, they refuse <laughs> to look. They they, they, told, they told you they didn't want to see it. They didn't care. They don't even want to see it. Yeah. Yeah, and then sure he specifically. Said. Yeah, he specifically told me that when they run the serial number on a gun, my information should pop up. That's what he said. But then in the police report, it says that there was basically no owner to the gun that as if the gun was stolen or something. Like, how is that possible? Yeah. And then later on, they go ahead and they send it off to the ATF and the ATF returns Sheree as the owner. Mm -hmm. And during that time, Armani is still in jail. Um, In jail. Yeah. So, I believe they never even ran the ATF trace on the gun from the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's no way they could have ran an ATF tra- uh, ATF on the gun and it came up with no information attached to it. Yeah, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about what Lauren mentioned too. Um, just the, um, the 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 system as it is, and and so I want to check my facts here because. Okay, so uh, you know Armani's on probation. Okay, um, whatever the situation was, uh, it's 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 it should be, it should be tailing off. And you know you did whatever you did. That's fine. Um, but now, because they because they did this raid and found your gun, um, he was caught up in in a violation back in, and really, as you said, I think and and correct me if I'm wrong when you said sort of like. It was too much. Like the fight was too much. I, I think there was some issues, which actually 
disappointed me with with the the public defender and ODS, um, but and just it was just too much to do, and so just going to sort of serve out the time and make the best of it. Is that kind of what you meant? Like that? That's, and, and I think this 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 is the way of exerting leverage and pressure on people who you know they can't really fight back, and. And you just continue to recycle the same problems over and over again. Yeah, I, I, I was I was not surprised that his story sort of played itself out like that because a lot of these stories a lot of these stories seem to play themselves out like that. Um, I, I'm sure Lauren came across several. I mean, you you document a couple even in the story that are very similar. You know, people are you know just caught right back up for no other reason than I guess you're trying to increase technical violations. So again, what are you really, what are you really doing? Yeah. And also, you know, Armani's bail was set at $10,500. That's a lot of money. Um, So therefore he was stuck in jail when he could have been out fighting his case had he been able to pay for his release. Um, And then, you know, problems with public defense. We know public defenders are overworked and underpaid. Um, So there's a lot of issues. And and I thought it was interesting that the police said that they went to Sheree and Armani's home because they had received a a tip from an informant, um, which Operation Safe Streets operates with informants like that's their lifeblood um they actually describe it in one of the handbooks that they can get leverage uh if they stop someone and they're on probation and they can get information out of them and someone told me that they knew people were being stopped if they were stopped on the side of the road and they found something the police found something they're asked to sign a paper saying, I'll be an informant, I'll get this information to you, and if I don't turn up that information, um, then I agree, you know, to be charged with this crime. Uh, the We asked the Wilmington Police Department about this practice. They didn't answer us. Um, they didn't answer any of our questions, actually, about Operation Safe Streets. Um, we asked specific questions about Armani's arrest. Um, and yeah, in a in a hearing, actually, um, one of the officers shifted and said that they um, that they weren't there because of a tip. They just were there because he was on probation for a check. Um, so I think that just shows like the unreliability of these police mm-hmm. narratives. Um, they also don't include that. Officers tased Armani and beat him up. Um, they don't say That's what it was. They took her yeah, phone, they pushed her down the stairs. Yeah, we didn't get. There was there was at some point where he realized uh, when he said he got shot, he was actually had a, had the taser. He had a, uh, yeah, he had tased. He had got tased in his chest, but when he opened the door for them, they were like. Um, yeah, Armani, as if they already knew he was. He was like, "Yeah, that's me." Like, "What's what's up?" He was like, "Yeah, where where's that? Where's the gun at?" So Armani, that's Armani calls me, calls me, and as he turned his head, he said he heard a, a pop, a pop sound, and his side, the whole side of his body went numb. So he thought he was shot. That's why right. he was screaming, right. "Mom, they shot me! They shot me! They shot me!" But it was them that it was the tase. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was they had tased him in his chest. 
Yeah, yeah. And then Armani said that they wouldn't take him to the hospital to they, remove the darts. They actually just did mm -mm. it themselves. They did it themselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the police narrative says that the taser didn't connect. So I think that leaves a lot of um a lot of room to question what actually goes on in these well, units. Yeah, I mean the thing about me is I'm in a I'm in a unique situation because I'm uh, I'm a fake journalist, so I only play a journalist part in my uh, on, on the on the radio here. Um, so it's it's nice it's it, it's a it's a very well put I think Lauren that it it, br it brings into question the uh, you know the the truth of a lot of these. They're just all liars. They just it's just a big lie. Um, every all these stories all fall apart. You know, did somebody say they had a gun? Or did they just feel like rolling up on somebody? Did they did they check the gun, or did they just not want to check it? And they told you to go fuck yourself. Um, you know, it's all it's it's all lies because at the end of the day, they know that the police department is not going to give you the information that you want or that you need to be able to hold anybody responsible, or to or even to make heads of tails of the story. They're not even going to give you that. So. You know, I'll, I'll, I know, you know, I'll take it a step further and just say this is all built on a bunch of lies. The, the idea, the I, not only this particular incident, which is horrendous, but the entire, the idea of needing a secret police to go around and 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 crack down on people who are on probation or on, you know, or 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 just trying to get on with their lives. Um, you know, hanging out uh, on the corner is not against the law. Your mom having a gun is not against the law. You know, driving in, driving uh, with, with your seat laid back and the music on loud is not against the law so far as I know. So, yeah, it's all built on bullshit. And, and I think, you know, when, when you hopefully, it, it get, uh, you know, the, the, the work is, is, is so great and it's so poignant. Um, it's absolutely horrendous that somebody has to go through this sort of violence and this sort of like stress um but i mean i i i find it very heroic um to try to get this to a, a place where people have to look at it and have to reckon with it have to take responsibility for what they're responsible for this is a democracy so everybody's responsible for it and 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 get to the point where people have to look at it but um but I know Cherie. I, 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 I've, I've, I've done this for a few years, and I have a pretty, pretty good contacts with people who do have the courage and the bravery to step forward after incidents like this. Um, I, I can, I can only tell you that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm humbled and and um, just really impressed when people are able to do that because I know that people get followed, people get harassed, uh, people have ca cars parked outside their own homes and the homes of their family members. I, I th th that's just absolutely true, and people need to start to reckon with the fact that these this is how we're operating, and it's uh, it's very it's very ugly and it's very sad. Yes, yes, well, it is. Well, I I want to thank you, um, not only for doing this, but uh, just for supporting um, this this work that we're trying to do. I, I it's just a horrible tra it's a horrible trauma and I, I actually don't even know really what else to say about it. It's 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 so bad. I, I know you're in Wilmington. I, I look at everybody who it's such a small city and I'm from Wilmington originally as well. And uh it's such a small city that I feel like everybody's my neighbor. 
and so I take the stories very seriously. You know, I grew up I grew up just up Maryland Avenue, and so yeah, I'm I'm just um, I'm just happy to be able to to listen to your story and 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 get it out there as much as I can. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I'm so grateful that you reached out to me. Yeah, I, and I know that there is also a note. Um, I, I will I will say that um, the the ACLU in Delaware has become a real force for um, for civil rights um, to to try to get some protection for the most uh, the, the most oppressed and the most marginalized neighborhoods that just get get all kinds of violence uh, you know just heaped on them. And so there's a there's a note at the end of this that if you, if you do uh, want to join this and, and try to uh, you know uh, help out with the reporting of all of this, the ACLU is more than happy um, to try to get you um, your story out to try to get um, you know legal help if you need it. Um, I know a lot of people are very um, sort of suspicious of all that. I completely understand, um, but I, I just in the last few years what the ACLU has started to do. Uh, for the people of Wilmington and the people of Delaware, has been uh, has been really uh, really great. Lauren, are you are, are you also from the area? I know you're you, you're not you don't live here now. I know that, but uh, uh, are you from near here? I'm originally from Southern Delaware. Oh, whereabouts? Um, Lewis. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, my my wife is from the Eastern Shore. Um, so we have like. Friends at the beach and and uh, you know Fenwick Island, Rehoboth, that kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, cool. Yeah, my family's still down there. I live in Brooklyn now. But... Uh, so you were you were at least you were you were back in the uh, back in the home state. In any case. Yeah, I mean, it felt <laughs> it was really interesting. Like you know, you grow up someplace and you have no idea that, that this is going on, and just to be able to bring attention to this issue um i'm so grateful that the aclu um had me do this project um because there was so much that people you know their story should be highlighted and i keep thinking about you know how many people like sheree and armani are out there that just haven't had the chance to tell their story or are too afraid to come forward because of the harassment that they might face yeah, I, I, I hope everybody will go to the story. We're obviously going to link to it. Um, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a exhaustive examination. So you have to sit with it and really sort of understand um, the history of it, which is there. The the examination of the the, the results, which is there. But really importantly, Sheree's uh, story and other stories are there to really to really highlight what a horror this is. It's not working and we, we need to try to, to stop it. Uh, as Sheree said, just stop it. We, we need to stop it. So. Yeah. And I think it was interesting too. I mean, I want to note this, that we reached out with our findings to the governor, to the Wilmington mayor, to the president of the Wilmington city council. Um, the mayor declined to comment on our findings and the governor and city council president just didn't respond. We know they saw the emails. Um, so that was pretty disappointing that they wouldn't at least acknowledge that this is going on. Well, I can tell you as someone who's fairly in touch with the city government, the, 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 the governor and the mayor and, and sort of how all of that works. I'm not surprised. 
Um, they're all, this is just me, my own commentary. They're all terrible people. They, they do not, they, uh, uh, Cherie knows uh, what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's farcical how bad it is. Um, but, but the good news is, um, and, you know, Cherie may know this, may not, uh, our, our super producer Carl is, uh, works full-time with Working Families Party. Um, from a political standpoint, we've been able to eject some of those horrible people from the process and, and, inst- and install by a democratic process some people who actually care about this kind of stuff. Um, some of them actually listen to this. Uh, so um, I- I'm hoping that over time this will start to resonate with people who actually can can raise the issue. But I can tell you that the, the current mayor of Wilmington is, is a lost cause. Uh, you know, just a, just a lost cause. Um, uh, hired a, hired a, a Yahoo police chief uh, who had problems in Chicago uh, that are very well documented. Um, and, uh, yeah, so... We're, 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 our political project is to try to uh, marginalize and retire all of those people as soon as we possibly can. Yeah. That's yeah, admirable. I, <laughs> it's going to take a long while, but I figure, you know, I'll give my, make my life uh, worthwhile somehow at least trying to do it. <laughs> nice. Well, <laughs> well, thank you guys so much. Um, I, I really appreciate it. Once again, um, the story is Operation safe, in quotation marks, streets, uh, how Delaware's most secretive police force plays fast and loose with our communities. Um, and Cherie will be published uh, actually probably today when this comes out uh, in the Delaware call. So I ask people to, to look at that, uh, at, uh, all of that stuff, and, and start to reckon with it and get on board with our project if, uh, if you possibly can. So um, thanks a lot once again for, for joining us, and, and especially Cherie. Thank you for, for stepping up in the community. I, I really, really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And uh, uh, thank you, Lauren. And uh, as we always say, left is best.